Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Uh, let's pray. Our Father God, indeed we cry out this morning, Hallelujah, what a Saviour. Lord, we don't just say that as words that roll off our tongue, but we say that from our hearts because we believe it. We believe that Christ is the Saviour, that Christ is Lord. That Christ is our all in all. Therefore, we can say hallelujah. Wait, Lord, with patience, enduring suffering, enduring persecution until he comes. Lord, we ask that you bless your word to us this morning. Help me to make much of Jesus Christ so that each and every one here this morning can depart from this place singing hallelujah. What a saviour. God, glorify yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to say thank you to Stuart for holding the fort. And, uh, did a great job. The fort's still here. <laughs> Praise the Lord, but he didn't do it on his own. He's done it in the strength of the Lord. So we come to our text this morning. Really, um, verse 15 to 23, you have to really look at verse 9, don't you? You have to go back to make sense of our passage this morning. And in verse 9, we read this, and following from that, it says, For this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, and we remember that they, they heard of what? The gospel. Since we heard of the gospel, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul wants to pray for the Colossians. He wants to ask God that, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will, that they may have spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a great thing to pray for. And in verse 10, he says, so, so what? So that you might walk. No. So that you will. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? You ever asked yourself that question? 
Have you ever desired to do that? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that Lord, we're, we're walking next to you each and every second of your life, that he would be honored, that he would be glorified, that he would be happy with you. Gosh, that's a frightening thing to think about, isn't it? Honestly. If he were to connect himself to you and know your every thought, right now even, what would it look like? That's why Paul prays this prayer. Because Paul knows the need we all have, particularly for the Colossians. And that strength doesn't come from within. That ability doesn't come from within. You do not have the ability to perform this. You do not have the strength and the power to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in and of yourselves. Amen? Yeah? And it's not hard to work that one out, is it? Just get a diary and, and or a journal and, and just take notes each and every second of your life. And you'll find that even in one day you fall short of the glory of God. Write down every thought of your mind and your heart. And you soon find that you will fall short of the glory of God. So Paul prays and he asks God that God would do this, that God would undertake for them so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it's a prayer, folks, that we should all pray. Why? To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. Who has qualified you? He has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself, but it says here that he qualifies you. That the only reason why you are out of darkness and into light is because God has qualified you. Pretty plain and simple, isn't it? Verse 13, for he rescued. 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 To be rescued, doesn't that mean we need to be in danger? Doesn't it mean we need to be in trouble? And indeed we were. And indeed we are. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned, which means our heart is bent on sin. That we only sin. It manifests itself in different ways. The Bible teaches us that we all sin. 
but he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is he? Jesus. And then we get to verse 15. You know, during our holiday in Central Australia, we were fortunate to have visited Uluru. Hands up if you've ever been to Uluru. Maybe it was called Ayers Rock in your day. Now and if you've ever been to Uluru and if you've ever seen Uluru up close like we were, you can't help but be struck by all. It is a massive thing to behold. There it is. It's Uluru. It's a photo we took. That's like from some distance back. Apparently it rises 348 metres from the ground. From the ground. It's taller than the Eiffel Tower, Statue of Liberty, Sydney Harbour Bridge. Have you ever been to Sydney and you've seen the Sydney Harbour Bridge? It's pretty big. <laughs> Have you ever been to France and you've seen the Eiffel Tower? It's pretty big. You ever had the, I guess, the fortune of uh, visiting Egypt and seeing the pyramids there? The Great Pyramid of Giza is, I think, the biggest pyramid there in Egypt. And Uluru is bigger than all of that. Kind of gives you a sense of how big that rock, it's a rock. <laughs> it, how big it is. That's a big rock. <clears throat> Our guide told us that there is more rock in the ground than there is above the ground. It's a pretty big rock. But you know what? There's a, there was another interesting fact that we learnt. You see, there is another rock. And its name is Fularu. I don't know if you've ever seen Fularu before, but that's what it's called, Fularu. There it is. Better known as Mount Connor. And it's the first rock you see before you get to Uluru. To be honest, uh, you know, I get how people can be fooled by it. The first big red rock that appears on the road to Uluru, and many have been fooled in thinking that Mount Connor was actually Uluru. And I get it. I, I get how foreigners or uninformed people would see Mount Connor and assume that it was Uluru. I mean, it's it's red. It's big. But honestly, there is a massive difference between that. And that. <laughs> you see the difference? There is a, a difference between the real rock and the not the real rock. 
the fake rock. There is a difference between Uluru and Fularu. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he wrote to people who were in danger of making the mistake that many tourists make when looking for Uluru. That is, they have come across Mount Connor and gone, wow, wow, what a rock. The Apostle Paul was writing to people in that situation where they were being fooled to thinking that there was something far better than Christ. They'd come across people who were teaching a religion apart from Christ. Colossians 2.8, we read, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to... According to who? So the Colossians were being threatened by philosophy, by man-centered teaching, because that's all philosophy is. It's good talk without Christ. It, it's, it's worldly wisdom without Jesus. It makes a lot of humanistic sense but it's without Christ. This week I, I heard, a, I attended a, a chaplain's conference for schools ministry and I heard a Christian psychologist speak at the conference and I thought he was an interesting man thought he was a very clever man, very learned man. He said some really wonderful things about burnout and how to avoid being burnt out in the role of a school chaplain and in the role of ministry. And some of the things he said were, it's important to know yourself. It's important to be in touch with the inner you. It's vital to know and hear the voice of the Spirit in you. Sounds okay. Meh. Good talk. Good psychology. So he said some very wonderful things and he said many more wonderful things in the conference. Many in the conference were touched and inspired. In fact, he was given a great applause. But throughout his talk, he had two sessions. Once did he mention Christ. Once did he mention Christ. Christian psychologists? Once was Christ referred to. Not once did he suggest that our need is met in Christ. 
And many are being fooled by such talk. It sounds really good and helpful, doesn't it? You know, just get in touch with yourself. Know the real you. Listen to that inner voice in you. Really? That inner voice in you? That, that, that inner voice in you is marred by sin, has a tendency to be selfish and not Christ-centered. That's the voice you want to listen to. God's voice. Because in God's voice is truth. And it's truth that we need. Not fluffy talk. Not man-centered gospels that tend to make you feel good for the moment but lead you nowhere in terms of eternity. Lead you nowhere in terms of your greatest need being in Christ. They said some wonderful things, but nothing about Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul chimes in and says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. In other words, don't be fooled by those who have the appearance of godliness but lack the truth. Isn't that what Paul said to Timothy when he wrote to Timothy in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and, and, and writing to Timothy? He said, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And we are in the last days, are we not? And things are not getting better. And things are not supposed to get better. In fact, things are supposed to get worse. And yet how many Christians are praying that things will get better? That their life will become more comfortable here on earth. Things aren't getting better. Things are not supposed to get better. That is a heresy, people. That is a heresy promoted by those who hold to a prosperity gospel. And if you hold to that kind of teaching, then you hold to a prosperity gospel teaching. Because it means, do you get it? It's about making life more prosperous here. To have life on earth to be better and more comfortable for us. And that is a heresy. It is, it is part of the prosperity gospel that life on earth for the Christians should be comfortable and easy. That to be blessed by God is equivalent to having no problems having no issues, having no suffering. But I know I am blessed by God because I never struggle. Not like them. Oh, what happened to them? They must be, God must have taken his hand off them. Look how much they're suffering. Look how much they're struggling, God. 
God doesn't love them. But he loves me, because look at me, you know, life is good, I'm not having any problems. I'm not suffering for the sake of the gospel. You know, every time I talk about Jesus, nobody gets offended, nobody persecutes me. So God must be blessing me. So that is a false gospel, folks. In fact, that is a doctrine of the devil. Why do I say that? Because it would please the devil if all the people in this world would be comfortable and have no issues and no problems. It would make the devil quite happy if no one suffered, if no one was persecuted. You know why? then no one would run and cling to Christ. Why would you need to? Why would you need Christ when you have heaven on earth? No suffering, no persecution, no pain, no death, no tears. Why would you need Christ? That's why I call it a devil doctrine. Because that would please the devil and make him very happy. Remember Jesus, 40 days without food, and the devil comes to tempt him with food, with comfort, with no suffering, and with wealth. You can have all of this if you will worship me. You will bow down and worship me. You can be comfortable, feel blessed, have no pain, no suffering. Be rich and wealthy like Donald Trump. If you will worship me, that is the prosperity gospel and it is a gospel of the devil. It's not just false, it is demonic and it masks itself as Christian. Sadly, it, it puts on a mask and fools people into thinking that it is a Christian doctrine. Remember, if you love Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will suffer persecution. You will not suffer comfort but you will suffer persecution for the Lord's sake. That is the true gospel. That is the gospel we proclaim. That is the gospel we tell people. If you want to come to Christ, you need to know this. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. See, sadly, we, we, we hear the gospel being preached and it's a gospel about come to Christ and get a better life. Well, you don't know what it's like to be happy until you come to Jesus. Well, come to Christ and you know what? All your problems will be sorted. Well, come to Christ and you will be blessed beyond your imagination. You got cancer? 
come to Christ, he can heal it. Trust him. You heard that gospel? That is a false gospel. That is the gospel of the devil. Because it is not the gospel that Christ proclaims. You come to Christ and you will suffer persecution. You will be humbled. Because you will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you will understand your place in this world quite quickly. You will understand how small you are and how great he is. You know, when we went and looked at Uluru, one thing that firmly stood out to me was this. That rock was huge. That was a big rock. And we saw people climbing up that rock and they honestly looked like ants. If I had an ant in my finger and held it up, and compared the two, they would have been the same size. That's what it's like when you stand in the presence of Christ. You realize how small you are and how great he is. And then you know what the false gospel wants to make? You the rock. Wants you to feel like you are the rock. How great you are. And how small Christ is. Christ needs you. The gospel, the true gospel, folks, tells us that we were in danger. We needed to be rescued. We need him. Oh, more than he needs us. Amen. So the prosperity gospel in all its forms and in all its facets, is a false gospel. It is a demonic gospel, and it masks itself in Christianity. And we must be careful of it. We must pray against it. We must be a church that is just sold out for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That I am not ashamed of the gospel. I know it's not easy. And I oh, how I want my friends and my family who don't know Christ to come to Christ and I could sell them a good deal and I would be dishonoring the Lord if I were to make his gospel any less than it truly is. Oh, it would be so helpful, wouldn't it, if we could just get them over the line. Tell them a few fibs. Yeah, your life's going to be all right. Come to Jesus. Once they're in, then give it to them. <laughs> I think that's where the church has fallen down. I think the church, the evangelical church, has fallen down. We've proclaimed a false gospel and we've just tried to get as many people in as we can. And when they hear the truth, They can't stomach it. They don't get it. Because they never got it in the first place. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They never got that. And said all they got was this, this wishy-washy message 
that it's all about you. Come to Christ and, you know, he's going to make your life so much better. You're going to be so glad you came to him, really. Jesus said, if you, you're going to be persecuted for my sake. Is that good? Of course it is, because Jesus said it. But the unsaved don't get it. The non-Christian doesn't get it. That's only something a Christian will rejoice in. Only a Christian will rejoice in being persecuted for the glory of God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, because a non-Christian just won't get it. You want to do something? You want to walk in a manner worthy of the, the, the Lord? Find every opportunity you can to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And how do you do that? Well, you've got to proclaim it, don't you? Find every opportunity to speak the gospel into the lives of lost people and be obedient to the command of the Lord to go therefore into all nations, making disciples. So, my brothers and sisters, we don't want to be fooled. We want to find Uluru, not Fuluru. We want to find Christ and not a substitute for Christ. We can't find Christ because he has found us. You know, people are searching for God. You know that? People searching for God. You know why they're searching for God? God is not lost. You with me? Nobody searches after God, the Bible says. Nobody seeks after Him. It's God who pursues the lost. It's God who pursues His children from before the foundations of the world. What an amazing God. don't want to be fooled by anything else. And so the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but realize that this, realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. There's the problem. Did you know that? Lovers of self. It's interesting. Paul frames verses 2 and verse 4, and I've highlighted it there, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. There's the issue, the contrast is that people are in love with themselves rather than in love with God. Do you love God? Then obey him, Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you will obey me and do as I say. Well, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. My gosh, what a list. 
It's the kind of list you don't want to read again for fear of seeing yourself in it. Did you see yourself there? Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And Paul says to Timothy, avoid such men as these. So the Apostle Paul frames verses 2 and 4 with two types of love. Love for self and love for God. And that is the issue. Do we love God? Do we treasure Him? <clears throat> you know, not just words that roll off our tongue. I love you, God. Let me say this. You are loved by God. You love Him. Easy as that. If you are loved by God, then you love Him. Why? Why do you love Him? Because He first loved you. And because He first loved you, you are given the ability to love Him. That's what it means in Ephesians 2 to be made alive, to be, so I think, bow pray, to be awakened, to be awakened to God, to be made alive to God, to be actually sense Him, to feel Him, to, to, to get Him. That when you read his word, it comes alive to you as if he is speaking to you. Well, you love him because he first loved you. And if he has not loved you, then you have not loved him. So if you're here this morning and you are struggling with that idea of loving him, let me be, be, be bold to say this. It is because he has not loved you yet. Because if he has loved you, you will love him. Because we love him because he first loved us. You see how that works? He first loved us, not that we first loved him. Because that would make it man-centered. That would change the gospel into a man-centered gospel that we have to actually love him first before he can love us. And that is a false gospel. To think that, that God has got his hands tied and unless we do something to God, for God, that he can't do nothing. God does not have his hands tied, folks. That is a false doctrine. He is the sovereign God of the universe and he does as he pleases. He is the unknown God to many. But he is known by his own. And he has made himself known to his own. Oh, don't we dare think that he has his hands tied. You know, it's silly to think when we think about this passage from Colossians chapter 1. Let me flick back there. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And it's silly to think that some do that demons or the devil can possess a person and have total control of them that the person is unable to do anything except how they are controlled by the demon or the devil. And that's okay. But then to think that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us cannot do a thing without our permission. That a demon doesn't need permission to control a person. That he can do as he pleases. If he is living in you, dwelling in you, possessing you. And then on the other hand, that the Holy Spirit can dwell in a person as the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer and yet cannot do a thing unless we give him permission, unless we allow him, that he will not compromise our freedom because our freedom is more important to the sovereign God of the universe than our holiness, than our righteousness, than our salvation is ridiculous. You see the difference. Who then becomes sovereign? The demon, the devil, because he has total control of a person. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, is relegated down to being a puppet. Oh, folks, that is dangerous stuff. That is bad theology. That is not helpful to you or to me to think that way. That is not glorifying to God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things... Were what? What were the all things? Were the things in heaven, the things on earth, the things that we can see visible, and the things that we can't see, the invisible things. Those things you can't see. Who created them? God did. But that's really talking about Christ. He Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, not that he was ever born. And by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Does that mean those demons too? Well, then he goes on to say, whether thrones or dominions or rulers were authorities. Yes, even the demons. Even the devil, created by who? 
by Jesus. For by him all things were created. All things have been created through him and they were created for him. What? The devil was created for Jesus? Isn't that perhaps that's where it's heading? When I We should do a Bible study together, brother. You and I need to do a Bible. I'll catch up with you later and we can talk about it. We do a Bible study together because I want to show you from the Word, from the Word of God. Doesn't it say that there? What does it say in the Word of God? All things have been created. What are all things? Angels? No, not all things. Only some things. Let's change it around. Some things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things. What does all things mean there? Well, the context says heaven and earth. Angels live in heaven and on earth. Heaven and earth, all things. And that context is everything in the entire universe created by him and created for him. Amen? Do you see that? I'm not reading into it. I'm reading out of it what it actually says. So I'm not, we're reading out of it first, aren't we? All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things, that's in angels, the devil, the demons, all things hold together. <laughs> What's the point? What is Christ to you? He is the image of the invisible God. That word image in, in the Greek is where we get the word icon from. And some have wrongly interpreted as to be the reflection of God. But that word in Greek actually means he is the manifestation of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became and dwelt among us. Christ. Is God sovereign ruler of the universe? You know what? If God didn't, if He didn't create anything, who would exist? God. If God didn't create, who would exist? So angels wouldn't exist. Nothing would exist. Just God in the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God have to create? Was it necessary for God to create in order for him to become greater than he was? Or to be happier than he was? Or to be more glorious than he was before the foundations of the world? 
No, he existed in perfect harmony as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did he need to create? But he creates for his glory so that we would bring glory to him as we look to him and say, wow, you are God. You are greater than demons. You are greater than devils. You are greater than me. And in you, I can trust. In you, all my needs are met. In you, I have all my needs met. In verse 14 of Colossians 1, we read, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In who? In Christ. In verse 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15b, he is the firstborn of all creation. That is the, the specially honored first and only son over all creation. In verse 16a, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Verse 16b, all things were created through him. Verse 16c, all things were created for him. Verse 17a, he is before all things. Verse 17b, in him all things hold together. Verse 18a, he is the head of the body, the church. Verse 18b, he is the beginning. Verse 18c, he is the firstborn from the dead. Verse 18d, in everything he is preeminent. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20a, he reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. Verse 20b, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. You know, if any person or any power or any wisdom or any love awakens any admiration or any amazement or any joy, let it be the greatest, the greatest person and the greatest power and the greatest wisdom and the greatest love that ever exists. Let it be that that awakens you, that causes you to have affections, that Christ, we sang hallelujah, what a saviour. Oh my gosh, folks, really? Hallelujah, what a saviour. Thanks, John. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Is he not? Is he not? Or have you found something greater? If you if you found something greater, let us know what that great thing is. Who is greater than Christ? Now, Father God, you call us to walk in a manner worthy. Paul said to the church at Ephesians, to the church at Colossae, walk in a manner worthy. 
calling of which we are called. Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called. The calling of the gospel that has awakened our hearts and our minds. That we who were lost, we who were bound by sin, slaves to sin, that we could only sin with nothing else. Made free to become slaves to Christ. To serve Christ. Oh, that's why you call us the bride. That's why you call the church the bride, that she might serve the groom. Because the groom has served her on the cross. Lord, there are many things in this world and even in the church that would pull us into thinking that there is something far greater than you, something more powerful than you, something more gracious and loving than you. Sometimes it might even be ourselves who become the rock. Lord, don't allow us to forget that. Don't allow us to be fooled into thinking that we can manage without Christ. Or we can have him in our hip pocket. Mention his name every now and again. And we'll be okay. But not truly know him. Because we have not truly been known by him. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Who know Christ. Because Christ has known them. And Christ has loved them laid down his life for his friends. It's an under-exaggeration of who he is. Because he laid down his life for his enemies. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were doing well. Not while we were doing good things. Not while we were making good choices. But while we were enemies, an enemy fights, we were fighting against you. You saved us, you redeemed us, and you helped us to see that you are our all in all. Praise be to you this morning, Lord. Help us to walk in that way. Oh, we. We don't need tips and steps on how to do that. We have your word. Help us not to gossip. Help us not to be irreconcilable. Help us not to be treacherous. Help us not to be reviling. Help us not to be haters of good. Help us not to be lovers of self. Help us, Lord, to rather love you that we might fulfill the first command. And in doing that, we will be more eager and able to fulfill the rest. So change our hearts, Lord, if they need changing this morning. Draw us closer to you. You know each and every person here this morning, Lord. 
And you know our need. You know whether we're weak in the faith. You know whether we're sick in the faith. You know whether we're poor in the faith. And you know in all those things, in all our weaknesses, our sicknesses, that's where you want us to be. Because when we are weak, that's when we are strong. Because your grace is sufficient for us. Because your power is made perfect in our weakness. And the false gospel doesn't touch that. The Lord help us. We want to honor you. We want to be a church, Lord, that honors you. We want to be a church that wants to break down the walls and reach out to lost people in our community, in our country, in our world. And we want to tell them the truth about you. That you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life that no man gets to the Father except by you. We want to tell people that, Lord. And if there are things that are restricting us, Lord, please take them away. Be it our fears, be it our weaknesses, be it our lack of courage, be it our lack of belief that the gospel is indeed the power of God to save. Lord, help us not to get comfortable. Help us not to come to church and to make it comfortable so that we walk out of here feeling comfortable, feeling happy that we are comfortable and not shaken by the sadness that surrounds us in this lost and dark world that people need Christ and let us fight that good fight and let us soldier on Lord in your strength by your enabling I pray for my brothers and sisters here and I pray for myself that Lord you would empower us that you would awaken in us if there's a revival that is needed Lord it is in us Revive our hearts, revive our belief, revive our faith, and Lord, do not allow the devil to tempt us. And when he does, Lord, show your mighty hand that we will believe and trust and follow. God, we love you because you first love us. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.